You're listening to Interzone Pod. My name is Gareth Jelly. I'm the editor of Interzone and IZ Digital. You can find out more about Interzone at interzone.press and more about its sister zine, IZ Digital, at interzone.digital. Today on the show, I'm talking to Gareth L. Powell. Hello, Gareth. Thank you very much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Um, your your love of science fiction is kind of it kind of comes through in your writing. You talk about classic science fiction a lot in your newsletter, and uh, in you know on social media. And there's a nod to H.G. Wells in Stars and Bones, the the first continuance novel, the the intellect's vast and cool and sympathetic line. Um, I, I kind of wonder what's like. What are your earliest memories of science fiction? Oh, well, I mean, you'd have to go right back to the very early 70s um, before I started school. I was watching Star Trek. Mm-hmm. I think it's probably the first time it was shown in the UK. I was watching that on an old black and white TV. I was probably about three or four. I didn't understand all of it, but I loved it. I absolutely loved it. And then from there, I was just always interested in space. And Star Wars came out when I was seven, so... Yeah, obviously I was lost from then on. Um, <laughs> Star Trek, Star Wars, and the Battlestar Galactica TV series, Doctor Who, Blake Seven, um, and then on. You know, we were seeing footage of astronauts flying around in zero gravity in Skylab, and the Apollo. I remember the Apollo Soyuz link up flight. Um, it was just you know, it seemed a foregone conclusion that we were all going to be living on Mars by the year 2000 so you know I, I was just I've always been you know into it and um written wise the first sci-fi books I can remember is a, a very old one called you will go to the moon oh okay which went into great detail about how you would get to the moon and how you would live there um and then there was a series of books by Brian Earnshaw about a starship called the Dragonfall 5 and the family that lived on it, it was a broken down old freighter and they uh, they lived from adventure to adventure in this old freighter, um, which I absolutely adored those as a, as a child. And from there, I, I just got into the the whole rest of the canon. I had a, a local library that had a huge sci-fi section and I just worked my way through it. So mm-hmm. Heinlein, Clark, everything, everything they had. And this was in the kind of early 80s. Larry Niven. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, I've got a pretty good grounding in the uh, in the genre. So it was everything from sort of you know the the far future stuff of you know Star Wars or or and also the sort of space fantasy stuff of Star Wars and also Star Trek and and then the real world science as well. Yeah, yeah, and then there was also the stuff like John Wyndham's Day of the Triffids um, mm-hmm. and the nineteen eighties BBC adaptation of that, and then the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy as well um on the radio and on the the tv so yeah i mean it was uh, looking back it was a bumper time for sci-fi it was everywhere yeah definitely um do do you remember when you first thought i i want to do that i i you know when you were reading that you know you thought i want to write i want to be a writer i don't remember the first time um i always enjoyed writing um and when i was probably about seven or eight years old, maybe maybe nine, um, I had uh, an ongoing trilogy of novels that I was writing. Um, 
and what it basically was was uh, I had like reporters spiral top notebooks mm-hmm. and I would start on page one and write this fantastic adventure kind of based on you know what had ever happened on Blake's Seven the previous night and and <laughs> you know just crammed it all in there and then when I reached the end of the notebook that was the end of the novel and it was time so I'd get an, uh, another notebook and write part two in massive letters <laughs> and uh, that would that would be the next one i just you know and I, I think i did three or four of those and you you were thinking in trilogies then as well yeah well because you know star wars came out in a trilogy and so you know it just seemed to be everything had to be a trilogy so right and 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 also the kind of the, the, the there's the episodic stuff there's the, you mentioned battlestar galactica did and you know it's star trek and uh, you know the and Blake Seven, of course. That that kind of um, that kind of episodic way of telling stories as well is, I I think, a really big influence, particularly if you were watching TV at that time. Absolutely. Although with Battlestar Galactica, they um, chopped down a few of the early episodes and made a feature length movie. And I got I, I saw that. Um, at school when we had like a film night they projected things up and so they projected up the the movie length Battlestar Galactica which was amazing and then wow okay Watership Down which traumatized us all (laughs) Watership Down recently got up rated I think didn't it from from I think after many many sort of years of people saying it shouldn't be a you um Universal is the kind of rating in the UK for you know anyone can watch it and I think I think recently it just got bumped up to PG or something. Yeah, about time. <laughs> yeah, a, 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 maybe a generation or two too late. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Well, the, the, there's that kind of strain of horror, I suppose, there as well. Um, and then you, yeah. I mean, what what were those sort of first steps then? Uh, sort of, uh, uh, you know, late later in terms of you know getting published and and writing, you know, starting it as a career. Yeah, I I. Um, did a creative writing course at uh, university. In fact, it, it coincidentally, I was in the same class as Rob Williams, who now writes for 2000 AD in DC. Um, ah, okay. And yeah, and, and I basically spent the time there writing very overwrought short stories and absolutely dreadful poetry. <laughs> um, and, you know, kind of thought I would like to be a writer because I'm not suited for any other job. And, you know, but I had to go out and get other jobs. So I wrote for a while and, you know, in, in the spare time, a few aborted starts at writing novels and a few short stories. Mm-hmm. But then, um, sort of 10 years later, I was kind of looking down the barrel of turning 30 and it was the turn of the millennium as well. And I thought, well, if I'm going to do this, it's time to, you know, time to, time to do it or get off the pot. And, so um, I sat down and I wrote uh, a novel, which was uh, Silver Sands, which was quite a short novel. Um, and then I sent it out to a few agents and a few of them said quite nice things about it, but nobody was interested in taking me on as a client. So I, I put it in a drawer and I wrote short stories for a while. And I had a few on websites and a few in like fanzines and things but then i got a break in 2000 and oh let me think 2005 i think when i had a story accepted by interzone um and that story the the last reef was um was very well received and so i wrote another one um which was called akak macaque um 
from which a later trilogy emerged. But on the basis of those two stories, and I think Akek Macaque won the reader's poll for that year for favourite story. And on the back of that, I had a publisher, small press, approach me and say, have, have you got any novels or anything you'd like us to publish? And I, obviously, so I dug Silver Sands out, gave it a quick spruce up and sent it off. And they accepted it. And then at the same time, another small press, Elastic Press, approached me and said, really like your short stories. Do you have? Do you want to put out a collection? So I said, well, of course I do. So um, yeah, I, I madly scribbled lots more short stories. And um, <laughs> the collection came out in 2008 um, called The Last Reef and Other Stories. Um, Elastic Press has since gone under, I'm afraid. So mm. I had to um, to republish it myself on Amazon. Um, but a lot of the stories in it will be included in the, the new Uber collection I have coming out from Titan Books in 2025, which which is kind of a huge retrospective. But um, yeah, and then the, the the novel came out in 2010, and at that point I caught the eye of Solaris Books and um, pitched them a novel, and they they said yes. So I wrote it very quickly. It was called The Recollection. It came out in 2011, and then I wrote three monkey books and. Oh, here we are. So yeah, here we are, and and you know, big deals and um and all sorts of things things happening. The uh, Silver Sands was was received well. I I was talking with some writers about the late great Eric Brown recently for a for a special episode of the show, and um in his review, I mean Brown said of the recollection that it's a beautiful it's a, a it's beautifully balanced between big ideas and the smaller scale human story. Is that what you've always been striving for in in your stories? That that balance. Absolutely. I mean, the the my kind of blueprint, if you like, is the movie Alien, mm-hmm. where there's these big concepts and there's these you know terrifying stuff and all the weirdness. But at the heart of it, it's like just a group of normal people, and you get to know them and you see everything through their eyes, and so. What I very early tried to do was, um, in the recollection, I made one of the characters a London cab driver who has fallen through time 400 years so that we get to experience this weird future through a pair of eyes who are familiar with our world. So he's like our guide, our proxy into that future. So, yeah, I mean, for me... Characters are the most important part of the book. Um, and if I have some characters I enjoy writing about, characters I can trust to make decisions that will, you know, propel the book in vaguely the right direction. And characters through which I can say something about what it means to be human and what it means to lose people and what it means to find people and what it means to, you know, just exist in this vast and baffling universe. <laughs> right. You mentioned sort of seeing things through people's eyes, and and you've you've written a lot. You, you use first person a lot, and I I saw just today actually you've published an edition of your newsletter about deciding between first, second, and third person narrative. Yeah. Um. Yeah. What what, what do you think it is that drew you to that for for you know for Embers of War and for the for the you know for the continuance books? Um. Well, before that, I wrote sort of five novels in sort of traditional third person and and it was fine. But 
with Embers of War, I decided to to try it um, in first person. I, I started it in third person, uh, but I read Emma Newman's um, book Planetfall. Well, I, I read a very early draft she sent to me in Word. It had a different title and everything, but I read it and that was completely written in first person. And before then, I hadn't really thought that you could write a whole novel in first person. And I read that and it just seemed to, a light bulb seemed to go on in my head. And suddenly I sort of sat down and rewrote the opening of uh, Embers of War in first person. And it just flew out, the entire book just flew out because uh, suddenly I wasn't telling the story. Suddenly the characters were telling the story. And I just had to, almost like an actor, just get into character and just, you know, vomit out what these people were thinking. And it 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 seemed to suit me very well, and I wrote very quickly, and I, and I enjoyed it a lot. So, I mean, I will probably go back to third person at some point, because at this point I've written seven novels in first person or something. Mm-hmm. So... Um, I don't want to be a one-trick pony, but I find that kind of that ability just to to channel with the characters and to talk as them and to, to um, have them talking directly to the reader is um, just seems to suit the, the sort of mad, weird ideas that I, I'm surrounding them with. Um, <laughs> because there's these huge concepts, these giant machines, these weird ancient alien things, and just to have the characters so, sort of talk to the reader and say this is really weird um you know right it kind of i think i think it makes it more immediate i know some people hate it but i think it's worked very well for these stories uh you mentioned kind of kind of getting into the character kind of you know sort of maybe hearing them do those sort of big wild ideas come first or do the characters in the situations come first or 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 are they kind of emerging in parallel Kind of in parallel, I'll, I'll sort of come up with an idea for a vague sort of plot or a weird sort of thing that I want to explore, and then I'll have to find a character, and then the nature of the characters dictates more about the nature of the universe and so on. You know, I wanted to have, for Embers of War, I wanted to have a uh, retired battleship, and so in order to have a battleship, why would a battleship retire? So there had to be something that happened in the war. So I had to have a war. And in order to have a war, I needed to come up with a, you know, two societies that would have to have had a war. Um, and so all the background and a lot of the, the plot came about um, as I was creating this world for this character to exist in. So it's, it's kind of, yeah. And, of, and as well, Usually, when I, I'll have a vague idea of what the ending of a book will be, but when I get there, I often find it's quite different from what I was expecting because the characters have made choices along the way, and that um, that can lead down different paths. And and the characters, I guess, must change as well as you, as you're writing them because you, you you know you you find out more about them and you you know, you put them through different you know ringers and I mean is is that something you found as well that your the the novels have to change because the characters change. Yeah, I, I'm not one of these writers who sits down and fills out like a D&D character sheet for every <laughs> character before I start. I'll have a vague idea who they are, but they sort of come alive as, as I write them and as they tell their story, things will surface from their past and uh, mm-hmm. that will affect the decisions they make going forward and so on. So it's um, 
I hate the term, it's a very organic process, but it's a very organic process. It's, <laughs> it just sounds so pretentious, but it, it kind of, it sort of happens as I go along. Um, I kind of make it all, I'll make it all up as I go along, but yeah, it's, um, <laughs> it, 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 it's, you know, the, the clay shapes itself as it's being mm-hmm. oh, it's tortured metaphors. <laughs> you, you, um, you wrote half of Stars and Bones uh, before the pandemic and half during the pandemic, I think. Yeah. And 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 you sort of and then Descendant, uh, well, and obviously that that kind of affected that book. And then Descendant Machine, which is the second continuance continuance book, you uh, you you lost it or you lost what you'd written and you had to kind of go back and start from scratch. Um, yeah. Kind of lo- looking back at that time, how much did external factors? You sort of feed into the fabric of the book did you know did, did you feel those books for, you know for you are very much books of their time they are and to be honest external factors almost killed them both stone dead um i you know i'd started stars and bones before the pandemic um but when the pandemic hit it just i don't know if it was the um you know the stress the ongoing stress and not knowing and everything but i had this terrible brain fog i couldn't read i couldn't concentrate to read and if i can't read i can't write um and it was just it, it you know i was stuck in a house with two teenagers not knowing you know how things were going to go i mean we, we were all there and it was it was a terribly uncertain time and i think sometimes we forget how uncertain those early days were the lockdown mm-hmm. first lockdown um but i just kind of I seemed to lose all ability to concentrate. Um, people were online saying, oh, we're locked down and it's finally time to write that novel. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I struggled. I suppose it, it didn't help that it's a, a novel about an intelligent virus that, you know, attacks a, a fleet of spaceships and they have to all go into quarantine procedures. And, you know, it, it was, it was hitting a bit close to home. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, it was difficult, and I managed to finish it. I think I finished it four months late and handed it in to, to Titan, but they didn't mind because obviously they had to close their offices for the duration as well. Um, and then I started on the next one, Descendant Machine, because it was uh, contracted for two books, and I I found it terribly hard going. It was like pulling teeth. It was um, because I was still I was still caught in that kind of brain fog. Mm-hmm. You know, I couldn't to motivate myself to think and then i got thirty thousand words in it was like and as you say i lost the file it, it disappeared and at that point i thought the last stars and bones and the first thirty thousand words of this book have been so difficult i don't know if i can do it again and i was kind of like just lying on the sofa thinking is this it have you know um, can i get myself back from this um and you know with the encouragement of um diane who's now my wife um i started again from the beginning and i'd wrote a different book than the one i had been writing um but a better book Uh. and um a more hopeful book in some ways and it it was still difficult but it got easier as i as i went along and once I got over that 30,000 words, it had started breaking new territory. It started to feel better. So yeah, it was, it was a horrifying process, but I think I came out of it with a better book than I would have done otherwise. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and since then I've written an, a whole other novel, um, Future's Edge, which is coming out from Titan in February 2025. Uh, but I've already written it and handed it in, so that came a lot easier. And, you know, I think my, my mojo is coming back and I'm working on another novel as well. And, you know, I wrote the first 15,000 words of that in a week. So the pace is coming back and the, the kind of the, the fun and the joy of writing is coming back. So it's uh, a huge relief. Mm-hmm. You said that the kind of when you restarted Descendant Machine, it was a different book, a more hopeful book. Um, and I, I the the there's this sort of tonal difference between the two, I suppose the one has more of a kind of horror element to it for sure. And it has that, and it also kind of has that, that, you know, it's it hinges on that, that loss, that sort of loss of, you know, someone very important. Um, yeah. How, how did it change? I mean, what, what big differences were there between that, that lost version and the version we have? Um, the, the general kind of setup was the same. But I, I reused some characters from Stars and Bones, um, even though the books were supposed to be standalones, and it was feeling a bit clunky. Um, yeah, I, I was just, I, I just wasn't feeling it, and I was finding it very difficult to write it. And so, once I'd got over the, the kind of shock and grief of losing that amount of work, getting going back in with a blank slate was it was kind of liberating in a way. Um, and I got away because in Stars and Bones, it, it set only like 50 years or 75 years, I can't remember which, since humanity lost the earth. Um, and so a lot of, a lot of the characters are, are kind of affected by that. And the, 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 the main relationship, the, uh, the character who's lost a loved one, that's kind of a, um, you know, reflected in the fact that humanity has lost the earth and that she's lost her relation. And, Descendant Machine, I moved it up the timeline another 50 or 70 years or whatever. So it's, you know, much later now. So there's very, very, very few people left alive who remember the earth. So the kind of the shock and the, the sort of cultural, um, the cultural depression or, or whatever, or, or sense of grief has dissipated a bit. And it's like, and so in some ways, I guess you could say it's because we were coming out of the pandemic and that kind of, hmm. you know, moved it into a slightly more hopeful future. And where Stars and Bones, I set out to write a sci-fi horror story. Descendant Machine, although set in the same universe, is more a sci-fi thriller. So it's it's slightly different um, genre, sub-genres in some ways. Yeah. Um, in your in your interview at Run Along the Shelves with uh, with Womble, uh, when, when asked uh, what three words best describe the next continuance novel, you answered, not yet finished, and I'm wondering, um, Stars and Bones, ha- you know, has that horror and Descendant Machine looked at sort of, you know, look, it, it is a different subgenre. Uh, c- can you say much about the next one or, or not? I can say that the next one, Future's Edge, is not actually set in the Continuance universe at all. It's, it's um, we had a change of heart. Um, the Continuance is re- remaining a duology for the moment until I think of another story that would suit that universe. Okay. Okay. It's the, ne- the next story I wanted to tell didn't didn't fit in there, or you know, I, I could have fitted it in there, but I'd have to crowbar it in, and it wouldn't have been a, a very good fit. So I I sort of decided to to move on to an entirely new. Um, 
Uh, I knew Future's Edge was a new universe. I thought that the the other one you were working on was Continuance, but but Continuance is currently sort of sitting as a duology, right? It is, yes. The Future's Edge is a new and a brand new one, and the one I'm currently working on that's currently under on submission to uh, to various publishers is an, another universe again. Ah, so okay. There's many many universes, so I I <laughs> kind of I I like setting you know I, I like a series as well as anybody but after three books in embers of war i wanted to change and after two books in the continuance series i wanted to change so it's um you know because i like coming up with with new situations and sometimes the baggage from previous books in a series prevents you telling the story you want to tell because hmm. you can't um especially if you've accidentally blown up the universe at the end of book three or something. <laughs> but um, so, yeah, the, the Future's Edge is like, I describe it as sort of um, Casablanca set in space. And it's, um, but it's it's much bigger than that. And it's more kind of scary. And there's un- physics that are things going on um, in physics that are causing huge problems and it's more of a kind of alien invasion slash i'd say it's a war novel but you don't see much of the war it's all taking place away from the war so it's um yeah it's 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 a different beast but you know it's still got all the action it's still got people zooming hither and thither in starships and uh you know anyone anyone who's enjoyed my my last five books will 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 very much enjoy it so Hmm. Do do you, I mean you, you've been writing? You've been publishing for a while now. Do you do you feel that it's getting easier or more difficult to sell series? Do you, did you feel like sort of standalones are are kind of maybe more marketable, or or that you know just publishers are more are more keen to take them, or, or do you, or do you not see a, a change? Uh, this was a discussion I had with Titan uh, Books in that. They weren't overly keen on a new trilogy after Embers, um, because what happens with trilogies is there's there's always a fall off by the third book. So the first book sells very well, but not everyone goes on to the second book, and then not everyone goes on to the third book. So there's a, a slight drop in sales because also if people wander into a bookshop and pick up a book and think, "Well, this looks interesting," and then they realise, "Oh, I've got to buy the first two before I can read this one," it's kind of a disincentive. So, you know, unless you're, um, you know, a massive name, then a series is probably more of a hard sell at the moment than a standalone, because at least with a standalone, you can publicize it um, more than you can publicize, like the second book in a trilogy, which is harder for to get reviews of, and it's harder to, uh, it's harder to publicize without spoilers for the first one. And so we decided to try an experiment, which was the Continuance Universe, which was a number of standalone novels, but set in the same universe. Um, sort of like Ian Banks's culture novels, mm-hmm. where you can more or less read them in any order. So we could just say, you know, here's a new book, buy this new book. It's a new book. You don't have to know, you know, you don't have to have read the previous books. You don't have to know the background. You can just pick each one up and read it in whatever order you fancy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that is a pretty valid approach to be honest i can uh, you know i'd like the security of writing another series but um at the same time having a, a new standalone book to promote and a new story to tell each time new characters to meet each time is um a lot of fun 
yeah, I was, I was going to say, is it, is it more fun? Is it, is it creatively, is it more fun to sort of be laying out these, these new universes and to not have to worry about, you know, the, the other, the other things you've written and how they fit together? Absolutely. I mean, I loved writing the Embers of War trilogy because in the second book, I didn't have to set up the characters or anything. I could just open the book and think, right, what are these guys up to now? And away I went. Um, Mm -hmm. So, you know, I didn't have to invent everything from whole cloth again. Um, But at the same time, yeah, I like the the variety of of coming up with new stories and new setups and new universes. And Mm -hmm. it, you know, it's, um, it's, it's, I mean, both, both have their challenges, but both are a lot of fun, I think. Have you ever thought of, of writing in, um, you know, in, in an established universe, or, or is that something you would consider, you know, taking, you, you mentioned Alien before, uh, you know, is, is, that, is that sort of on the bucket list? Um, not really. Um, I've been approached by a couple of properties, one of which I can't mention because there's an NDA, um, to do novelizations of various, you know, properties that they have. Um, but I find it very difficult. I find it very difficult indeed to tell stories using other people's stuff. Um, I, I would love to be able to say, yes, brilliant. I will write a Doctor Who, I'll write a Star Wars or, or, or what have you, write a Star Trek. And I've got lots of ideas for stuff that could happen in there, but actually sitting down and writing a novel using other people's rules, um, I find incredibly difficult. And besides, I think I'm I'm building up, um, you know, I'm, I'm working on novel number 13, 12, 13, something like that. And, you know, I've got... For, to use another term I really despise, I've got a brand. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people know what a Gareth L. Power book will give them in a lot of ways. I hope to surprise them uh, in some ways, but at the same time, I hope they also know they're going to get a good and exciting story, some kind of deeper speculations and some interesting, flawed, complex characters. And I want to keep doing that. And I think to take on somebody else's universe, to, for instance, write star trek or something mm-hmm. using, using those characters i could do it because you know i know those characters i know that world i enjoy that world but it wouldn't feel like me it wouldn't uh-huh. you know it wouldn't be um i wouldn't be writing from the heart i'd be writing from the kind of my inner fanboy and i would find that very difficult because Part of the fun I have is developing the characters on the page. And so using characters that are already very well developed and the audience already know very well and having to sort of mimic that and stick in those boundaries, I would find it very hard to tell that kind of story, I think. Right. Yeah, no, that all makes sense. Um, It's funny enough, you're the second person this week to mention blowing up a universe, which I guess only happens when when you're doing a conversations about science fiction because I, I was talking to una mccormack for for, for the eric brown uh show and and she, and she mentioned kind of basically blowing up uh, the universe that she was writing in that that sort of eric brown had started and so yeah i guess that you also have that freedom to just destroy the whole world which you can't do when you're writing inside a particular franchise yeah, definitely i think if you're writing on a big big canvas um 
with space opera or something, you have the biggest canvas, you have the entirety of time and space um, as your canvas. So you have to have very big threats and very big consequences and very big things to struggle against. So, you know, the possibility of the universe blowing up at any moment is obviously, you know, pretty much the biggest threat you can get. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, uh, Future's Edge is 2025, and uh, that's part of a two-book deal with Titan. And the other one is this kind of collection you mentioned earlier, the Who Will You Save? Yes. Which is also... Uh, later in 2025 uh do, do you already have a fairly sort of firm table of contents for that uh and sequence in that you know is it going to be you know chronological or or something else uh well, well it's not been edited yet but i did send um kath my editor an enormous word document with like a i think 100 and hundred and ten thousand words of short stories or something and um in order and I was like, you know, I was fairly like, this is the order I want to do because I did it like a, uh, oh, I'm going to be terribly old fashioned now and say a mixtape um, or, or playlist for you younger viewers. And <laughs> so it's, you know, you put you put an absolute banger up first to get the crowd going and then, right, you know, right, right. you take it up a notch and then you sort of slap, you, then you take it down a bit and then you build back up. So it's, it's kind of, it's like structuring a mixtape. It's getting those, um, you know, getting the themes and the the um the pacing and everything and so yeah hopefully it should be good and i wrote i wrote uh, a few new stories for it as well there are some short stories set in the embers of war universe and there are some short stories set in the continuance universe um in there as well as lots of my kind of best loved old stuff some stuff that's never been collected um and some stuff that appeared in my my previous collections so mm. um it's kind of almost like a, a kind of career retrospective of um, all my short work um, over the last 20 years. So, Okay. That's a, a big one to look forward to then. Yeah. And my, my previous collections were both from small presses and both had print runs of like 300. So mm -hmm. um, having this out through Titan is, is now a chance for a much wider readership to read, um, a very important part of my work that maybe hasn't been as widely available because some of this stuff just appeared in a, a magazine and 10, mm -hmm. 15 years ago. And if you didn't read that magazine, you've never read it. So um, I think it will add a whole new dimension to the novels because you will see how my writing was changing as I was writing the novels and then writing these short stories alongside them. Mm-hmm. Are you tempted to go back and sort of make changes or are you being quite kind of strict and leaving them as they as they are? I am being quite kind of lazy and leaving them as they are. <laughs> um, I have no doubt that, you know, when they go through the editing process, there will be um, a few kind of cosmetic changes and a few, you know, maybe the odd bit here and there. But I, th I think it would be slightly dishonest maybe to kind of, rewrite them all um from where i am now it would be i i'd, I'd want i think i'd want a more authentic collection as i say that shows how maybe how my style has you know part what bits of it have always been there what bits of it have developed and um i think that is more feels more interesting and authentic than just uh um, rewriting them all and sanitizing it yeah yeah yeah, yeah. And, and and probably also just a a really really starting to do that. It's like when where do you stop as well? 
when you have yes. a big collection. Um, the to just sort of size stepping slightly, uh, uh, the recollection was republished. Was, was that expanded, or was that the was that the same book that had come out before? That was the same book that had come out before. Solaris just um, decided to do a tenth anniversary edition. Okay, um, because the the recollection had come out in. Uh, 2011 and it was a space opera um but it kind of it got a bit forgotten um because hmm. i did the the akak Macak trilogy after that um uh, but then when embers of war came out and the embers of war trilogy was coming out and were doing very well um they thought well we've got this space opera by gareth powell and, and his space opera is doing well, so let's do a new edition, hmm. um, make it look a bit like the uh, the ones he's doing with Titan, and kind of bring that out. And uh, yeah, it was good. I was I was glad to see it getting a second chance because I was very fond of that book and I had a lot of fun writing it. So you mentioned the how how the sh- the short stories are, are a kind of really important part of your development as a writer, and um, and also when I interviewed you last year for IZ Digital, you mentioned or you hinted that you might try some novellas or you might be writing some novellas um yeah yeah, at the moment you know when when you have ideas do you do you kind of do you sort of fairly early on know that this is a short story length idea or this is a novel sized idea or does that or 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 is it hard to know until you started writing it no I, i um i very deliberately sit down and write a short story like right i'm gonna write a short story um Mm-hmm. A novel takes a lot of thinking and a lot of work. I couldn't just start one and then, you know, um, with a novella. Uh, I wrote the novella Ragged Alice that was published by Tor.com. That was supposed to be a full-length kind of um, Lee Child-style thriller that was going to make uh, oh, wow. myself and my agent millionaires. Um, ah, okay. Unfortunately, I went away and came back with a, a novella set in rural West Wales, um, fe- featuring a, a spooky police procedural, and he was like, "This is not what we discussed." So um, <laughs> that was, uh, uh, you know, and I, I was going to make it a novel, but then I got sort of about two thirds of the way through and realised that I'd killed off everybody who could possibly be a murder suspect. So I had to wrap it up. Oh no! And um, yeah, so but it was, but I was really pleased with it. it it's. The people who've read it love it, and it's one of my favourites because it's very personal because I put a lot of stuff about Wales and my Welsh heritage and stuff in there. Um, but, yeah, I think came out through Tor.com, and I don't think it ever really found the right audience because it, I don't think it was what people were expecting at all. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, since then I've done, uh, I've done the novella with Peter Hamilton, uh, Light Chaser, um, and that was a whole lot of fun doing doing a novella with another author, especially one I looked up to when I was first starting out. So um, yeah, so and I self published a novella as well because because uh, I wanted to. I, was, <laughs> I serialized on my old Patreon page. When I closed my Patreon page down, I collected it together and, and um, published it through Amazon as well, so you can get it as print on demand through them. What's the name of that one? Downdraft. It's kind of um, Breaking Bad style, Fall from Grace in a sci-fi horror world, but it's in the same um, it's in the same universe as my Reef stories. It's like the Last Reef and um, okay, those stories. So it's kind of um, it's in that it's in that universe. So it's uh, yeah, it's fun. 
That was the Patreon, which is, I, I'd forgotten you had a Patreon, and, and then you, you switched from Patreon to Substack. Yeah. And, and you, you recently published a short story um, in, in an edition of the newsletter. And, and I kind of, and, and, and it seems that you're kind of putting a lot of time and energy into the newsletter. I, I kind of wonder what do you, yeah, what do you really enjoy or what do you enjoy most about writing and publishing that? Um, yeah, I mean, when I started, it was like, I was just using, I was going to use it because I have a monthly newsletter that just goes out every month. And it was, a, it looked like a good platform to do that. Um, so I did, but then it also, it's kind of like a blog as well. So it's, it's a kind of, it's like a newsletter. So I do the newsletter, but then I also do blog topics so you can, uh, mm -hmm. and so I've got, and various kind of categories. So I've got some, uh, lots of writing advice on there. I've got, um, old columns that I wrote for the engineer magazine about future technology. And I've got, um, just general new news about me and what I'm up to and stuff. So it very much quickly became a blog and I sort of started posting several times a week, just writing. And I started doing, um, sort of live readings on there for people. Um, and occasionally once a month we have a video hangout. So, um, over zoom where we can, you know, people who subscribe to the newsletter can come and hang out and we chat and it's usually a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's kind of reignited my, my enjoyment of blogging, but it's also feeding into the fiction in that it's, if I get up and I'm feeling sluggish or whatever, and I sit down and I write a, a blog post for the newsletter, then it's kind of warmed me up and I'm ready to then switch to the book and uh. I'm ready to go because it's, um, it's kind of, you know, it keeps, it keeps the motor running, I think. And it's, um, but also I seem to be building quite a nice community there. I've got, uh, about two and a half thousand people who subscribe to it. Hmm. Um, a, a very vastly smaller amount who subscribe to the paid content, which is the, uh, most of the writing advice and stuff is behind a paywall where you have to pay like, I think five pounds a month or something to get access to it all. But, um, mm -hmm. you know, that's just a little sideline to, to, you know, to take the place of the income I used to get from Patreon. Um, right. Although it's not nowhere near as much as I used to get from Patreon, but uh, times are tough for people. But um, I just really like using it as as helping and doing what I always do, which is encouraging and offering advice and, and saying, you know, well, chuck a little bit in the tip jar for this advice because I'm putting a lot of time into producing it for you. Um, but yeah, I, I, I just enjoy using it. It's got a nice interface and... Um, uh, I think people seem to be appreciating it. So. It's kind of interesting how, yeah, publishers and writers are are kind of moving more towards, you know, almost like building sort of fanzine type communities, you know, in in, in a smaller sense sometimes or, or in a more kind of focused sense. It's really, it, yeah, it's, it's an exciting time in, in lots of ways. It is one of the things I really like about it is there's a chat feature. So um, people who who... who like read the blog posts and stuff i can chat with them in this chat feature and we can just like you know it's like uh it's like a sms on your phone kind of deal you type messages and replies and stuff but that makes it re really community thing because you can get in there and you can chat and it's it's private to subscribers um so it's only people who subscribe to the magazine can read the chat so 
it's um that makes it feel very community where people kind of chat so i really enjoyed that post and it kicks off a discussion about that topic or something um and i've been using it to share a blue sky invite codes as well with so it's uh it's just a nice kind of community vibe yeah that, that, that's super interesting um the just going back slightly you you mentioned you did that novella with um with peter hamilton yeah that, that you co-wrote how, how did you find collaborating and uh, and sort of i don't know how, i don't i don't know actually how much you've done sort of co-writing before but yeah what was that process like and did it sort of change the way you thought about anything mm. um yeah i mean before i i years ago i co-wrote a um short 10,000 word short story with Aliette de Baudard um, for the Shine anthology of optimistic fiction that Solaris Books put out. Um, but that was ages ago. And this was the first time I'd written something as long as a novella with anybody. Um, but yeah, with Peter, it was a lot of fun. Um, it was a lot of fun. I got to, I had a huge kind of attack of imposter syndrome at one point because I realized I was sitting in Peter Hamilton's office and he was <laughs> about something and you know having read like his his uh, earlier novels when I was just starting out before I'd been published or anything that seemed like a huge turnaround so um we sat down we came up with an idea we came up with um a group of scenes we would need to illustrate this idea and then we basically divided the scenes up i um the story has like a main character who spends a lot of time alone on a spaceship investigating things and then in the course of the novella she visits a lot of different future societies so peter being a consummate world builder invented all these societies and i did all the uh, well not all but um, a large portion of the character stuff because, um, you know, the, the character stuff, as we've mentioned earlier, that's very much my bag. And um, it, it was fun. We did things that played tricks because he would write a piece, send it over to me, I would write the next scene, send it back to him, and then he would write the next scene so we could keep continuity uh, rather than writing our bits separately and then trying to squash them together. So I would do things like I introduced a cat at one point. Um, <laughs> okay that he wasn't expecting and so when 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 it came back in the next scene the cat died of old age due to the effects of relativity and uh, <laughs> okay it was it was him saying no bloody cat right so um, <laughs> yeah so yeah we enjoyed it i think it was it was it was fun hmm. yeah that does sound fun um so so the so the novella the, that novella is light chaser and you also mentioned ragged alice and i i'm kind of i'm kind of amused by the idea of of a jack reacher in in wales i i think that's quite <laughs> quite entertaining but um yeah are you drawn to other genres or 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 you know do do you feel very much that you know you found you know you found your your sort of you found the things you want to write and that's what you want to carry on writing in a way, I mean, they say write what you love, and obviously from our discussion, you can tell I've loved sci-fi for the last 53 years. Um, but I'm always I'm always open to stretching and trying new things. Um, I think if I ever found myself just on a treadmill, um, just writing formulaic books, you know, just like the 
the one before, I would get very frustrated. So mm-hmm. um, I have recently um, planned out a giant epic fantasy book. Oh. Um, I sent that plan to my agent, but it may or may not ever come to pass, but it was a fun exercise trying that out. And I introduced, say, elements of horror into Stars and Bones, mm-hmm. sort of playing with that. I'm not a huge horror fan, but I love um, John Carpenter's The Thing and Aliens. And I think you can see the influence of both of those and maybe Event Horizon in that book as well. Mm. Yeah, definitely. And, and, and you certainly went in for that. I mean, you, you said you're not kind of a, a big fan, but you, you made the horrific bits horrific. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, I wanted to move, move on to, to Embers of War because there's, there's an adaptation on the way. It's been on the way for a few years, I think. Yeah. And you've seen, you told me the last time I interviewed you that you'd read the pilot episode script. And I, I imagine you can't talk much about, you know, what's what's happening with that. But how does it feel to know that your characters, you know, your story, your world are going to be in the hands of other creators? Uh, it feels great. I mean, I, I've met both the guys doing it, the scriptwriter and the editor. Uh, scriptwriter Gary Graham and the edit, uh, editor, sorry, the director, uh, Breck Eisner, who did a lot of the expanse. So mm. I trust them. Um, we've had a talk. They really want to keep it true to the spirit of the books. Um, obviously there will be some changes cause it's a vastly different medium. So, um, you know, if there's an event that I allude to in a couple of paragraphs in the book, they actually have to construct a scene to dramatize it and show it. Um, and there have been a few minor changes, but having read the the script, as I said, read several iterations of the script, um, they've really nailed it. It's it's different because of the demands of TV, but it's essentially the same story and essentially the same characters, um, mm-hmm. and and I absolutely love it. And one of the other things they showed me was they created a sort of mock-up trailer for it oh, um, which they're going to use in the pitch so they used some illustrations from deviant art and a voiceover and music and stuff um, to introduce the main characters and the setting and you know and present a few sort of excerpts read from the script with these uh, with these pictures over the top, and it's it's fabulous. I got all, all all the hair on my arms, and my neck stood up watching it. It was just wow, especially at the end where it dissolved to embers of war, <laughs> based on the novels by Gareth L. Power. And I was just like, holy shit! Uh, so I really hope it happens. But yeah, you know, obviously it all was on pause during the strike, and um, as far as I know, they're gonna circle back in January and try to work out um, when to pitch it to networks, but hopefully it will be very soon. So yeah, hopefully I will have some news soon and uh, I would love, absolutely love to see it. And I know some authors are like, well, how do you deal with people wanting to make changes? And I'm, you know, I don't care. They're paying me. So... (laughs) But as well, I trust them because they know the medium and I don't. It's the same as, you know, I trust my cover designers because mm. they know how to do a cover and I don't. And I trust um, my editor because she knows how to 
whip a book into shape that will sell in that way. And I, I don't necessarily. So, you know, I trust people to do their jobs. Um, and I, I trust these guys. So, you know, even if it never happens, it's been incredibly instructive experience. Mm -hmm. And, and you know, when, when you're, when, when you're writing, you, you have, you know, this unlimited budget you can do, you know, whatever you want. Um, are, are there parts of Embers of War that you are kind of very excited to see how, you know, to see visualized, to see how, you know, to see put on the screen? Oh yeah. And uh, you know, with, with CGI and, and what have you, you know, they can do so much nowadays. Um, however, there was one, um, <laughs> in the original draft of the script, they had the, the, the scene, which is the very first chapter of the, the book where um, the crew is trying to rescue a crashed spaceship that's floating in the ocean and they're standing on top of it trying to drill their way in. And when the director came on board, he took one look at that and said, I'm not buying a water tank. So, <laughs> oh, That's great. <laughs> so that scene has to be rewritten. So it was kind of, it was instructive in that way as well. Interesting. Yeah, it was like you can do there are things you can do and things you can't with budgets and you can do certain things, but, right. but you know, having a Titanic sized, um, water tank and, and all the problems of filming on water and, and what have, it's like, no. So it's, um, okay. it's interesting. Yeah, that, that is really, that's a really interesting insight. Um, Last year, uh, Galantz uh, published an updated, expanded edition of About Writing, and I, I saw you posted on social media that this this would make a, a really good Christmas gift, which I I think is true. Um, about writing, uh, and that's your guide for aspiring authors. Originally published by Luna Press, and um, you, you you run workshops too for writing, and you know about writing or for writers. And and I wonder, kind of, what advice have you received? um or all read that, that has helped you as a writer the most when i was 16 my english teacher put me forward for a competition that was being run i can't remember by who in the local area um where you had to write a short story um and like three opening chapters of a novel or something and send it in and i didn't win but what i did get was the opportunity to be critiqued by Diane Wynne Jones. Oh, nice. Yeah, so I went along a very naive 16-year-old, met her for coffee in this uh, sort of arty coffee house in Bristol. Um, and she, she uh, you know, she had the, the, the huge hair, looked quite witchy. Um, it was lovely, though, um, to, to quite a callow youth like me. But she went through she went through the story. I still have her notes. She wrote some handwritten notes on it. And she was just saying things like the heroine shouldn't gasp and sigh at this point. And, you know, and she was quite brutal, but everything she said made sense. Okay. And I kind of, I'd been writing in, you know, as I said, I'd been reading Heinlein and Larry Niven and Arthur C. Clarke. And so I was writing in that quite dated sort of sixties style. And, she, this was, this was like 1985 or 86. And she kind of cut through all that. And she was like, you know, 
you can't just have something happen because you want it to happen. It has to make sense in the story. It's not Monty Python's big foot coming down out of the ceiling. <laughs> so it was, it was, um, it was kind of like my first critique from a professional. Before that, I'd been, you know, doing A level English and, um, in that you got points for using big words and, you know, writing convoluted sentences. And she was like, no, that's kind of, the goal here is to communicate. And it really kind of, it really opened my eyes. And that was um, a huge revelation at that age. Um, and then, you know, a couple of years later, I went to university and studied creative writing for three years. And one of the uh, visiting tutors was Helen Dunmore, the novelist. And so I would have kind of a weekly tutorial with, with Helen where she would read things and read the aforementioned awful poetry and <laughs> roll her eyes and say, Gareth. Um, so it was, you know, I, I was looking back, I was incredibly fortunate to have met those two and to mm -hmm. have had a small amount of guidance from them at, at the crucial times um, in my development. So, yeah, I would, I would say those are probably the the best um, or most influential pieces of advice I've had. The the goal is to communicate is wonderful. That's that's a that's a really crisp way of putting it. Yeah, absolutely. If as soon as your um, your reader has to put down a the book to go and look up a word, you've lost them because they'll you know they might not come back. So it's um, I'm not saying you should dumb down, but you know use technical terms and use long words advisedly and it's 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 something i pay a lot of attention to is the rhythm of the text i kind of kind of hear it as a rhythm and if i can hear if a word is in the wrong place by because it's like a bum note uh -huh. and it's like this sentence doesn't flow i need to you know maybe i shouldn't use the word weltanschauung i could just <laughs> say point of view and so it's um you know, it, it's that kind of thing. You see, I, I, I kind of have to get the flow right, get the rhythm right, and mm. it's got to move smoothly so that the, the reader is kind of reading it without even realizing they're reading it. If you see what I mean, their eyes are just skipping along, but they're experiencing the story. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah the, the ear is a great tool. I, I mean, I say, say that to my students when they're writing that you know, they so often they don't read back and, and you know, it's sort of sub vocalize what you know what what they have on the page and actually when you start doing that you you just notice things differently so yeah that's that is rhythm and and the way things flow is is crucial it's hugely important with dialogue as well um and especially if you've got several different characters giving them all their own rhythm and their own vocabulary and their own kind of it's it's like having a a, a jazz combo you've got you, you have a trumpet you've got a double bass you've got a saxophone you've got drums and they all speak differently but they're all playing the same tune so it's the same way you have people who maybe only speak using very anglo-saxon words or people who speak using very kind of um norman words and mm -hmm. you know to use, or people who don't use contractions or people who use nothing but contractions and it's it kind of helps distinguish the voices and the and uh, yeah, it's yeah. hugely important. Yeah, yeah, that's that, 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 that's a really good point. I, I forget, so I forget who it was who told me that one of the characters never used contractions to to emphasize 
Or, or, or is, is, that, is that the Star Trek Next Generation thing, that Data never uses contractions? I don't know. Or was it the, um, the that movie with Jeremy Irons where he plays two twins? Oh, it might be. I'm not sure what that is, though. Um, I can't remember what it's called now. Dead Ringers. It's about there, but they're both two sisters. Rachel Weisz has been starring in a remake of it. Oh. Um, where she plays the two twins. Yeah, yeah, he plays two twins. And I think he was doing, for one of them, he always stood on the balls of his foot. And when he was being the other one, he always stood on the heel of his foot. Oh, okay. So you could tell from their posture which was which. <laughs> That's really cool. Fastbender does something really cool. In um, I was I watched Alien Covenant, <clears throat> and um, yeah. I, again recently, and he's yeah, he he's he's very good at, at doing doing those two, two two different versions of the same sort of. I guess I guess that they're not the same at all, are they? But but you know, just just doing two characters who who seemingly are the same. Yes, yeah. He, I mean, I think I recently rewatched those two. Um, Prometheus and Covenant back to back. And if you do that as if they are one film, they seem to make a bit more sense, but only a bit. Um, <laughs> but you can follow David, you can follow David's story through it because in Prometheus, you don't realize he's the main character until you see, you kind of watch the two films back to back. Um, mm, that's interesting. But, you know, they, they still have some glaring nonsense in them. But, um, uh, but Fassbender, as you say, incredible actor. Um, yeah, it does it does a hugely great job. Um, you know, I think, and both films look gorgeous as well. It's just the uh, they do. They just sort of they do. They, yeah, they, they there were some strange, some strange moments, some strange decisions. <laughs> yes, let's leave it there. Yeah, let's leave it there. <laughs> because yeah, we'll, we'll we'll open a whole can of worms. Yeah, yeah let's not go. Let's, let's not do that. Um, a, a, a couple more questions. Um, the novelist and interzone writer Kelly Jennings has a really great question, and I, and I like to steal it. Um, she, Kelly's kid, pointed out to her once that all of her work was about revolutions, right. and she hadn't really noticed that until her kid had pointed it out, pointed it out. And I and I wonder, kind of, when you look at sort of or look for threads through your work, what would you say your work is about? This, this is something I've given some thought to, and I, I kind of, if you look through my novels all the way back to you know Akak Makak and the Recollection and everything, they're all about characters who have lost someone or something, and they're all about characters who have a trauma in their background that they've. I think um, the Starship Trouble Dog says it at one point in Embers of War is the thing about humans is you've all been broken but the way you've put yourselves back together is what makes you you and what makes you unique and that seems to be very much a running theme through the books alongside a lot of characters who aren't human and characters who are almost human and characters who were human and are now something else mm -hmm. so there's very much a kind of unpacking of what it means to be a person what it means to be human um and looking at humans from the inside and the outside um so yeah th th those seem to be the kind of themes that, that i notice and you know i hope one day someone will do a dissertation on my work and they'll go back and <laughs> tease out all this stuff i'm completely unaware of and it'll 
you know, I'll, I'll find out I've been tremendously clever all this time without knowing. Um, <laughs> it all happened organically. Yeah. Yeah. The, no, I, I think that's a really powerful, that, that, yeah, sort of, well, you know, yeah, yeah, loss. And, and of course, you kind of take it to the, to the maximum by, by, you know, we lose the whole planet. Um, and then sort of, yeah, you sort of rebuild from that point. That's, that is a really fascinating way to see it. Yeah. Um, before we go, um, is there anything you've been reading recently that you'd like to recommend or, or boost or, or just sort of, yeah, that Interzone listeners might, might be interested in? Well, obviously I'd like to uh, give a shout out to The Inn at the Amethyst Lantern by J. Diane Dotson, mm-hmm. um, which is a lunar punk uh, future mystery, sort of like... Um, Echoes of the Goonies, but also some Stranger Things and some horror, but also some sci-fi and some fantasy. And it's, you know, it's really involving. And I, I read it chapter by chapter as she wrote it and, and really, really enjoyed it. So I would heartily, heartily recommend that one. Mm-hmm. As well, recently I read Adrian Tchaikovsky's Final Architecture Trilogy, which was uh, brilliant. Um, not that Adrian needs publicity from the likes of me he's uh <laughs> you know he, he's he's the big thing in uk sci-fi at the moment and uh and best of luck to him um what else i've, I've been going back and reading a lot of like ursula Le Guin and, and uh octavia butler and stuff like that recently so some stephen king because ah okay uh, Diane was hor- she, Diane was horrified last year when she realised I'd never read The Stand. <laughs> so, <laughs> so she was like, "Right, I was over in the states at the time, so we went to a bookstore and bought a copy. And, like, read that on the plane home." Mm. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what did you think of it? Um, yeah, I, it re- I, I got the expanded edition with all the stuff that was taken out of the first edition. Okay, so it's really long. So I'm, a, I'm still only about a third of the way through it. I can dip in and out of it from time to time. Uh, but I say there's, there's there's a lot of stuff in there from the pandemic, I think. Mm. Mm. I've got to be in a cheerful mood to read this. So. Yeah. Especially especially as uh, we were watching Last of Us as well at the time when I was reading it. So. Uh, oh, that's too much altogether, yeah. That was, uh, yeah, that was a bit too much. So, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I keep going back to it. it it's, it's I find the, his style very easy and involving so yeah it's interesting yeah he's very readable yeah for sure yeah. I, 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 I always wonder when you get these these expanded editions kind of well i i suppose i suppose it was taken out for a reason but i suppose putting it back in does make sense for yeah for a particular audience but yeah, yeah it's, a, it's a it's it's a brick isn't it it's a really it's a really big one it's a proper rodent squasher yeah yeah <laughs> And um, and your uh, your most recent books, Descendant Machine and Stars and Bones, uh, are out wherever books are sold. And you have um, oh, I've got to check my notes. And, and you have Futures Edge coming out uh, not next year, the year after. Yeah. Um, is there anything else we should be looking out for? And and where can people find you online? Um, well, you can find me at www.garethlpowell.com. Um, and I've I've recently mothballed my my Twitter for reasons, mm-hmm. and so I am most active on Instagram and Threads and Blue Sky. 
So people can find me on there as Gareth L. Powell. Um, if you if, if you just find me on one of them, then I've got a link tree link in the bio, so you can just click through and find all the other ones really easily. Um, yeah, so um, yeah, I'm always online, giving out advice, being positive, mm-hmm. grumbling about things. Yeah, it's. Um, <laughs> And talking about talking about uh, and often just like pull, pulling books off your shelf and and sh- you know yeah talking about them which is always good always good to see kind of yeah. classics that people are going back to absolutely thank you very much Gareth L. Powell for coming on the show it's been a been a pleasure and uh, yeah I hope we can talk again when you have your next books out yeah fantastic thank you you've been listening to Interzone Pod with me Gareth Jelly and my guest today Gareth L. Powell. Find out more about Interzone and subscribe at interzone.press and read stories, reviews, interviews and more for free in its sister zine, IZ Digital at interzone.digital. Thanks for listening. See you next time.